Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the J3 University Podcast. I'm your host, John Jewett, and with me, as always, is co-host Luke Miller. Today, we have an exciting episode, and I'm from across the pond, Kuba. And Kuba, I don't even know how to say your last name. Is it Celian? Yeah, don't bother trying, just, you know. The <laughs> it's the, the Kuba, uh, yeah. pro bodybuilder, owner, owner of MK Elite Coaching, uh, trained by JP Athlete, and has made substantial progress uh, in his physique, and that's why I want him on today, just talking about maximizing off-season progress. And as he's also an Arnold invitee, which is super exciting to, like, you've done your pro debut and now to already be coming out to the Arnold. So, Kuba, how you doing, my man? I'm good, man. I just want to highlight it's the UK Arnold, not the actual proper Arnold. So let's it's just okay. highlight the first point. The Arnold. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that all day. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm really good. I think definitely a good start to prep. And if I'm totally honest with you, off the back of this off-season, I was definitely ready to start prep. I was probably ready to start prep before I needed to, to be honest. So, you know, I think we all get to a point when off season, we're like, right, you know, I'm ready to go. What was that more like a mental thing? Like, man, I'm just tired of being like blown out. I know you weren't, but you know how it is. Food's high. You're like, I mean, I'm ready to diet. Or is it more a physical thing? Like I I had the look, I'm ready to pull it down. I think I got to the point where I wasn't able to really push forward anymore and push up anymore. So, you know, you get to that point in off-season. If you've got a, a really extended off-season, you don't have any competitive plans. Like, I got to the point where I wouldn't need to pull back anyway. So, it's just the amount of time that it took me to get to that point this time round was just a lot longer. But when it, when I did get to that point, though, I was like, right, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, pull back a little bit. You know, especially the kind of – the feeling where, you know – you're just battling every single day for the extra pound here and there, whether it's, you know, lifting or the body weight, you know, it just wasn't there. And the look just wasn't quite, you know, it was, you get to that point where you reach a peak in off season, you're like full and you're still quite tidy. And then I honestly think that you can push forward past that point and it just gets worse. So, you know, I think I got to pretty much that little ledge where I was like, right, if I continue, you know, it's just going to get worse. So, you know, it's time to come down a little bit. Your previous prep, do you feel like you kind of reached that same point or was that a different situation? Previous prep, I definitely pushed past that point and yeah. my starting point just wasn't that great. So the previous prep, my starting point, I was just a lot softer. I was, I was way too soft than I realistically should have allowed myself because this time around, you know, mostly the attention I paid to is the fattest body part and the smallest body part, which is still the back. So, you know, from the front, if you looked at me, even when I was fat from the front, I was still sensible. But when I turned around, you know, it's a different story. So I kind of gauged it this year, you know, through through the back. And, you know, the starting point was definitely a lot different. It's 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 a complete miles, million miles away, to be honest. It's like coming coming off from that, that last off-season off into prep, do you feel like moving into the diet period, there was like that, that holding spot where you like you drop food and everything and nothing like really happens and it takes like a lot longer to get moving or what do you feel like that was a different so last year 
things happened, but it wasn't really that much of a positive change. So body weight moved, you know, with, with myself, especially like it's never a real problem, but the visual changes that I was seeing, I wasn't really happy with, you know, it, it was more of a decline to start with rather than, you know, an improvement. Don't get me wrong. When you initially start prep, even when you're in a good position, you will go for a phase where it's pretty much like a week or two where you kind of, you know, look softer and smaller, but then that kind of picks up straight away. Whereas last prep, I found that because I was so out of shape, it took a hell of a lot longer for me to actually start seeing a positive improvement. So, you know, I was expecting positive visual changes a lot sooner. And, you know, it took quite some time to actually see a positive response from a physique, you know, body weight was moving, but it was just looking worse for quite some time. Yeah. And I, I asked that because I, I've noticed the same thing, like in my past off seasons I've done, even prepping certain people, like, you push them up to like this certain like kind of body fat level where everything's fighting. Then if you jump right into like a fat loss phase, it seems like nothing really works yet. It's, it's like they're so inflamed and their insulin sensitivity is poor and they're, they don't have as much of those like fatty, uh, fatty acid, like oxidation pathways open to where they're just not able to like mobilize energy efficiently in a fat burning process. And so you, they like deplete, then you're like, like skinny fat. And yeah. then like, finally it's like moving kind of, and then you've lost like a month of kind of like productive prep, which I'm like, man, almost, almost like for something like that, like bring them down to like a kind of a maintenance phase, restore health, get its sensitivity back, then go into a prep, but hopefully you never even get there to begin with. Right. Like now you like reach the, Hey, this is the cutoff point and I can transition. So did, did you have kind of like a holding phase after this off season uh, of, of like just trying to sit there and then move into prep or was it like hey I reached this peak and fucking turn it on tr move right into prep I, I actually did I actually had at 21 weeks out I pretty much got to a point where I, I knew it would just become unproductive I tried pushing so from that time I kind of held it but even then looking back at my pictures because I pretty much done pictures every single day all year you know um, so it Looking back at the pictures, I know exactly the point at which I should have probably started to hold and then pull back. And I think even now, I managed to get it right and, you know, things did go really productive, but there's still a lot of lessons that we probably will dive into as we speak about this more. But there's still a lot of lessons that I definitely picked up on the way that could have been a lot better. You know, at, at peak, I think I reached a body weight of like 267 and it looked pretty good. And... From that point, I still continued to try to push and push and push. And I think at that point where I was feeling real good, I should have held at that point. And that was probably like five weeks before I actually did. So if I did that beforehand, I think I would have been in even in a better position. But, you know, that doesn't say I wasn't in a great position, but, you know, still yeah. it, it works out okay. But looking back now, I know at which point I should have kind of held and pulled back, looking at the fullness and everything else and, and how I performed and how I felt. Now, I, we're, I'm kind of, we're kind of like way ahead because I want to talk about like the off season from the beginning, but that's okay because yeah. I, I, you know, this, this is an interesting point. Break it because, down. We'll, we'll, uh, rewind it. We'll rewind it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's a good point because that transition point is, is where a lot of people lose it and yeah. they lose off season progress and they don't optimize it. And also there's like this lack of clarity of what to do in that phase. Like, is it food? Is it training? It, what happens with drugs? And then I think, 
maybe some people change too much and they fade away. So, so that five week point, you're 267, you're fucking bang on like full round. You kept pushing for five weeks. If you actually did the hold then, what would that look like from all those other components? Like I imagine like probably PEDs were at, at a peak. Food was at a peak, right? Is that a good assumption? So food was at peak. PEDs wasn't. So PEDs actually stayed quite sensible. And I think that's what's allowed me to really push forward for so long. So we'll obviously break that down beforehand. But I think sure. for me in that phase, what I drastically should have done, I should have pulled my, I should have actually lowered my training volume, in my opinion, allowed myself to have a little bit of a, an extended period where my training volume is somewhat lower. And again, try and keep the food in a nice stable position without having to force food more. So if I need to pull back a little bit, pull back the food a little bit, pull back the calories a little bit and lower the training volume. And I think that in itself would have my physique looking a lot fresher and give me an opportunity to progress with slightly less calories and, you know, slightly less volume. But again, this year has been a big year for me is get still getting away from, you know, the volume side of things and accepting that for me, you know, the lower side of volume training just works so much better. Like right now, my leg sessions are down to like eight working sets and, you know, I'm performing the best ever I've, but that is another mistake that I feel like I've made coming out of the gate, starting my off season this year. And that's, you know, that's another one that will rectify for my next off season. I definitely feel like I overdid the volume to start with because I did the wrong approach. I actually started with quite a higher volume approach to begin with. And then I titrated my volume down as I got stronger. And in my opinion, it actually held me back. I feel like out of the gate post-show last year, if I actually started with, you know, rock bottom volume, I believe I would have got a lot stronger and I would have stayed a lot fresher. And I believe I would have probably continued gaining for so much longer because it got to the point where my volume was so high, I probably needed all these calories to facilitate, you know, my actual training. Whereas half the volume was, was pretty much get to a point where it was junk, you know? So, you know, all these little points and all these little markers, you know, there's so many things that, I look back on now that I did right, yes, but in the same breath, you know, it could have been done better as well. Um, but in that, in that little maintenance phase, for me, I definitely should have pulled my volume right down, arguably lower the food slightly. And the PDs, to be honest, it has been reserved all year. Like the biggest change with, with, with the performance enhancements the whole year, you know, I took a quite an extensive recovery phase after the show and the cycle to begin with was quite small. I think I spoke with Luke about this. You know, the cycle to begin with was quite small and then it escalated slightly and it just stayed pushed past that boundary again up until the prep started. So for me, that has been a much better approach because when I look at my blood work and the way I felt the whole year, it's been a game changer and arguably I've pulled back on my peds probably used the least I ever have in the last three years and have made the most progress I ever have. That's, that's cool to hear. I, and uh, to touch like on that maintenance phase, like what I think a lot of people don't realize and, and what I, I didn't used to realize either is like, once I get body weight up, I'd think like, okay, this calorie amount that I'm at is what holds that body weight. And, and that's inaccurate because pushing up past those boundaries, you also like adapt to the food intake um, metabolically to where you can bring food down and you'll just adjust down a little bit to, to a true, true maintenance to where you're not having to drive all those anabolic processes. So um, I think you can pull back and, and hold weight 
and just bring volume back. I think that's a, that would be a, a solid approach, but let's, I mean, we're talking about the beginning here of, of prep of, from your post-show into off season. So let's actually go in the chronological order. That makes sense. Well, well, um, I actually wanted to do like, yeah. 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 I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll just talk, man. I think that but, first phase is interesting because like you mentioned doing like a recovery phase straight out of prep, right. Which is, a little bit different than what a lot of people kind of go into straight off of that gate, right? It may be like another six week push or eight week push with continuing with drugs high and stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how you went about that and how aggressive that first phase was with PDs being a little bit lower and a little bit more of a recovery phase out of prep. Right. So for me, a couple of years ago, if we've had a conversation, I would probably be of an opinion of, you know, if you're healthy enough, Post-show, yeah, do a little rebound, but probably from last year and even beginning of last year, just working with clients and seeing and trying different things. For me, looking at the pattern that I've seen with, you know, 99% of people, unless someone's like the first time user and, you know, they've never used PEDS or, you know, the, the, the levels that they used have been minimal. You know, for me, post-show, arguably your body's going to be at peak, peak level of stress. You know, systemic fatigue will be built up through the drug use, and that's without a doubt. I don't care. Even John's amounts are laughable. But they're very small, aren't they? Like, people wouldn't <laughs> believe what John uses. Yeah. Like, right. But even that dosage would still hold a degree of systemic fatigue. Yeah. So post-show for me, if you really think that you are going to build any fresh muscle, like, for me, it's unrealistic. If anything... The reason why people think that they build some muscle post-show is they're regaining the muscle that they may have lost during that diet phase. Nothing more, nothing less. And obviously, you know, they're going to be eating. There's going to be a lot more glycogen, a lot more water. So for me, you're not building anything new during that phase. So staying on cycle, you're just taking away from valuable time that you could use that in your off-season. So for me, you know, I I'd never use anything now post-show. And for me... Every single year, I'm going to try and ride a wave where I try and use the mo the minimal amount that I can to sustain the muscle tissue for as long as I can until I start seeing, you know, either a decline or I stop seeing progression. And for me, I honestly believe that post-show, you know, if I manage my training volume better this time and I manage different variables such as staying fit as my body weight goes up and different little variables as well with the training side of things and application that, you know, I was still kind of learning last year and getting better at. I honestly believe that I could probably ride that way for 10 to 12 weeks and make progress with pretty much the minimal drugs. So for me, you know, people always talk about the rebound, right? So you could essentially get a rebound whilst you are in a recovery phase. So if you can ride that phase out for 10 to 12 weeks, not turn into, a, you know, a blob, which most people unfortunately do because what they try and do is, you know, push the drugs, push the food. And, you know, after 10 weeks, they look like they're ready to diet. Um, you know, that's, that's not really an approach that I will ever take. You know, for me, it, it's going to be more of an approach of, you know, trying to grow, but keep the condition to the best of my, to the best of my capability whilst trying to recover at the same time. You know, for some people, it might sound unrealistic, but it's definitely worked extremely well for me. So for me, the way I look at this is I'm going to get two rebounds. One, I'm going to get a rebound after the show, utilizing the food. And then secondly, when I reintroduce anabolics, I will get a second rebound. Because I've been off, well, off, you know, we call yeah. it off, but it's, it's not really off, let's face it. You know, we're not, we're not coming off completely. Otherwise, we'd, you know, feel like a little girl. But, um, 
you know, we're not coming off totally. So arguably, you know, your body's still going to be very, very fresh. So reintroducing anabolics at say week 10 or 12 post-show when your body, when your body's already recovered pretty well, you know, you are going to get a response from even a lower dose. So this off season, when we did reintroduce anabolics, the dose was, you know, quite low, especially when I compared it to previous off seasons, you know, the dose were probably much half of what I'd normally do. And the response that I got was far bigger than ever. You know, I, people didn't really believe what I was taking. It's a conversation I had with Jordan as well. Jordan was like, are you really going to take that? Like, are you sure? Like, mate, you know, I care about your progress. Are you sure you're going to do that? Are you sure? Like, you know, yeah, definitely. You know, that, that's, that's... Are you handling your own, like, compounds and drugs and stuff? So I'm working with Stefan. And okay. uh, he's a cool dude, you know. He's, he's very old school. He's a mixture of, like, old school and is a mixture of the new school as well. But thinking of myself as something I spoke with Luke about before, I think, it's like I could never work with someone and just have someone like, tell me what to do kind of thing, you know. Well, collaboration. Yeah, so, and the thing with Stefan is as well, the biggest thing that obviously we will touch on as well is I've checked in every single day with him since the show. Haven't missed a day, you know. How's that work? Day. You just send him pics or is it just a text like, hey, this is what's Pictures up? And wait. Pictures and wait every single day. Okay. Pictures and wait every single day. And, you know, it, it's, it might sound silly. It might sound daft. But every single day since I came off stage last year, he's got pictures at the same time every single day. You know, my weight and pictures every single day. And in essence, that's keeping me in a routine. You know, I'm still waking up. I'm still posing. I'm still taking pictures. I'm still doing the do. So, you know, what's changed since prep? Absolutely nothing apart from direction at which my body weight is going in. That's the only variable that's changed, you know. The goal is still the same apart from, you know, I'm in a surplus. So I think the biggest major thing that people often overlook in your, obviously, preparations, whether it's, you know, prep or off-season, is the routine. And that's something that was a biggest, biggest game-changer for me as well, if I'm totally honest with you. It's keeping a, a, a totally bulletproof routine where, you know, every single day is literally, you know, the same as a previous day with, you know, the, the smallest smallest possible you know change so you know my whole year has literally looked pretty much the same with maybe you know a, a variance of 15 minutes here and there which is you know it's minute difference unless there's been an emergency and you know and even then you know the only change that something has propped up that i, I had to deal with on a professional level whatever it was you know it's still not been anything that would throw me and I would miss a meal. You know, it's still been like probably a difference of one hour. And I think a lot of the progress that I have made is definitely contributed towards keeping that routine as well. Sorry if I've gone on a tangent, like, but that's kind of, you know, mixing in, in a way. Yeah. No, no, those are like excellent takeaways. And it was a lot, but it's, uh, I think that that routine goes a long way because even coaching people like, the, the biggest issue I have with, with people like in prep that aren't seeing results is that their schedules and routines are all over the fucking place to where like, yes, they check the block on, I eat the food, I train, but it's all over the place. And your body is really rhythmic and works best in routine. Like sleep habits are so important. Going to bed at the same time, waking up. Like I still feel like sleep is like one of your biggest fat loss tools and recovery tool. And most people getting shit sleep and then they're stressed and, and that, that just pulls, adds more of that allosteric load and takes away from what you can recover from. Like, it, I mean, US, I mean, everywhere, UK, 
uh, we're like an overworked society. And yes, we're like blessed that we can just do this for a living, but still you need to be aware that that's going to affect your end result too. And trying to manage those variables as much as you can is, is so important. But I think, yeah, as we get into the off season, that those routines that you have in prep that are really keep you productive, like, like fucking on a machine, they kind of fade, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to take picks once a week. I'm just going to look in the mirror at my front shot. Who cares what happens out back? Um, <laughs> You know what? That's exactly what I used to do. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I've done it too. Yeah, like, oh shit, cool. Like, the abs are there. We're good. <laughs> like, ugh, it looks a bit rough from the back. I'm not, you know. Oh, that, that's why for me, like, I'll do my caliper sites. I take picks, of course, but like, I caliper my my glute, my lower back, and below my scap. Um, those always get super fat right away. And now I have data from like, you know, from the past year of like, all right, I looked really fat when my caliper sites were here. So I kind of have something objective to look at too, along with visuals. Um, but it keeps me in check too. But even, even for prep, like I know, like, man, if I'm, if I'm skinned out, like I know what my, my glute skin fold should be. Um, so if I'm, my, my mind's kind of fucking with me looking at pics, I can like, all right, where, where am I at? Um, skin fold wise, but, um, no, I think uh, coming out of the show, that's, that's definitely a different approach because I've done it the opposite way too. Um, actually, my year made the most progress. I like blasted super hard out of the show. And it was like a combo of like taking more than I've ever taken. Training volume was crazy high. But, but by the end of it, like, yes, I made a lot of progress, but then I saw a big drop off too. Like I softened up a lot. Drugs had to come down. And then it's like all these variables are a place. Like, how do you adjust the plan now? It's, it was hard to manage it. And like you said, I really think you're in, a, you're in a poor position to build muscle. I know everyone's like, oh, you're so anabolic right now. It's like, no, like fat cells are super anabolic. Like you're very, very insulin sensitive on fat cells. Like your ability to partition towards muscle versus fat, it's highly going to go towards body fat. Um, so it's like, oh, well, I'll just use some extra PEDs but then you're adding more stress on top of it. And you have to think like for an off season, you don't think about just the, the what's happens in the next eight weeks. You need to think about the next 12 months. And so like, should you be splaming down PEDs just to manage body fat right now versus let's work with food, managing routine, stress, sleep, and then slowly build those in. And like you said, get that second rebound. So I'm, I completely agreement with you, like drive, use, use the, the least amount possible to drive the results and just trinkle in and titrate up all that stimulus, whether it's training stimulus, food stimulus, PED stimulus, like you have all these tools, use each one progressively and that can really extend a productive off season. So like post show now, like I think going into like a, an HRT phase or whatever your cruise dosage would be, whatever you know would bring total stress down and then like taper that up. But it's funny on the training because like you basically ran like a, a powerlifting uh, training program, right? Like you start high volume and then volume tapers down just to maintain like or intensify strength and to where eventually you're not doing enough like productive volume, <laughs> you know, which uh, I've done the same thing. Like I chased the logbook and strength so much that it's like, man, I, I don't think I'm doing enough volume or I'm chasing the wrong variables, right? For, for your training out of the show, because I know you do uh, pull, push, off, legs off, right? Yeah. A push, pull, off, legs off, yeah. Push, pull, off, legs off. Was that the same split rest days? You just were doing more work on those days coming yeah. out of that show? Yeah, it was like, it was silly. It was like, I think it was like touching 20 sets on legs, for example. 
you know, okay. three sets of, you know, I was like, you know, do you know what, looking back though, when you come out of the show and, and obviously your food gets higher, you know, recovery was okay. But looking back, it definitely held me back from a lot of progression because, you know, I was getting stronger and I was getting stronger within that kind of volume. So you, as you can imagine, you know, the volume was just getting increased and increased and driving through. So for me, you know, the, the best thing that I could have done with that is done it opposite way, you know, start with rock bottom volume and, and, and titrate that back up. Um, and, you know, again, tried a different plan. It was actually a plan that Jordan did um, off the back of, you know, a couple of stuff with, with Cass and stuff like that. But, you know, and that's not a knock on Cass, but, you know, sure. I know myself that for me, what I can do in one set, you know, if I really go balls in, it's, it's enough doing one set, you know, not, not three sets with pauses and holds and everything else, you know? So I think that definitely could have been better, but, you know, out of the gate, this is, this is the whole thing. This is the beauty of bodybuilding. You know, I, I had a great off season, but there's so many notes that I've actually made that I know that I could have been better. And coming out of the gate, the training side of things definitely could have been better. And, you know, I think the application yet again, could always be better. How would you have managed like if you start, cause an issue I've had post-show is like if I hold volume and my strength progression and load and rep is so fast that I've gotten injured like five, six weeks later because my connective tissue just can't even keep up. So it's like, it's almost like the higher volume can protect you somewhat because you won't have as much strength progression. Um, cause that fatigue levels like it's there, but of course that's not what you want post-show. Uh, how would, what would you do? Like, do you think that's an issue to begin with? And what could you do to like, kind of safeguard that? Like, would you, cause I'm a guy that likes to train high effort too. Like I have a really hard time keeping reps in the tank. So like, what, like, how do you, how would you manage that? You know? And so there's, there's so many things that we can do. Like beforehand, like, I know my legs get, they can get really strong quite fast. So this year I did with my hack squats, I used to do a three second hold in pause in the hole so you know that will in itself actually limit your load exposure so yeah. for me if, if i was getting to a point where you know the risk of injury was was there there's so many different things that we can do and implement to actually you know limit the amount of load that you can use and that doesn't necessarily mean the stimulus won't be the same you know the tension still will be there it's just whatever technique we, we opt to use to actually you know slow that kind of progression down will do the job. And in same breath, you know, we could actually increase the volume or, you know, in, in, in some cases, like with my leg training, majority of my off season, I actually did leg extensions before hack so that, you know, I'm not going in a hack and I'm, you know, loading it all up right away because I know for a fact, if post-show, if I did my compound work first on legs, it would have got to a point where 10 weeks in, my knees would have just given, my knees would have been given in, even with the pause reps, et cetera. You know, it would have got to a point where I'm squatting silly weight and it's just becoming counterproductive. So for me, it's definitely implementation of ISO work beforehand. And I know that some, a lot of people are against it because, you know, there are things that suggest that it might, you know, it might not help you stabilize the certain movements. But again, when you're locked in a machine, you're locked in a hack squat, I don't think that should ever be an issue, especially with someone that's an advanced trainee. You know, it's, it's a different story with someone that's, you know, a newbie. That's a different story. You'd, you'd never do that with someone. You'd never pre-exhaust with someone that's, you know, fresh. But with myself, you know, I think, and anyone that's, you know, of a level that's 
pretty advanced, I think that is definitely a good option that will keep you safer rather than, you know, bringing in more danger to yourself. So there's so many things we can implement, even holds, pauses, you know, even, you know, slowing the reps down so, so much. Not to the point where Dennis James does it, you know, with the 10 seconds down and whatever, <laughs> that will just be counterproductive, you know, but there's so many things you can implement, in my opinion, that to actually stop that happening. We, we all do that to a certain extent. Like Luke does leg extensions before training. Yeah. Look, like, look to a lot of like the older bodybuilds and how they train legs. Like most of them now do leg extensions, then leg press, then go do their, do their squats. It's like, we should learn from these old guys, like, you know, um, how to have longevity in the sport. But, but to say like, hey, this isn't as productive, but then we have someone here that's like pushed up their body weight, like 40 pounds. And that, that didn't limit your leg growth. You know, now we don't have like the twin Kuba that just did hack squats, then like leg extensions to like compare to. But I, uh, I think as you get more advanced, that stimulus has to get more specified and you have to manage your fatigue a lot better because like, say you start off with a back squat. It's like, dude, like you're so strong. Like everything's going to get gassed out and your fatigue's going to be high and you probably won't even tax your quads yet. So now you have to get more specific, like hypertrophy specific basically for each muscle group and how you program. So I don't think it's limiting at all. I think that's probably how it needs to be transitioning. Like I've, I was telling Luke on our last podcast, like I'm doing pec flies before I go press. And I would never do that before. I would think, oh no, that's stupid, man. You want to do isolation works at the end. Um, but what's important is you're putting tension where you need to in the muscle and you're not fatiguing out other structures. So I think it's a, a smart way to train. I think progressing up in pauses could be a, a very good way too. That's smart or slowing down your, your eccentrics because hypertrophy is such a forgiving adaptation. Like we know there's a variety of rep ranges you can work in. You don't have to just add load to the bar to drive up that stimulus. You could, you could just uh, drive up the duration of the sets, which is, it's almost the same thing as if you did more reps early, you know, as long as you reach that same endpoint of high effort, I, I think it's accomplishing the same job within, within, within reason. Like you said, like a 10 second eccentric or getting into where you're hitting like 30 plus reps. Like, ah, it's like, there's extremes, but like within that context, there's a lot of application um, on, on your split. So, I mean, you said you could do less sets and keep the rotations the same as far as rest days. Have you ever done it? You just add in an extra rest day and you, you keep, you basically keep the volume relatively the same. Like yes. say, po say post show, you just say, I'm going to do push off, pull off legs off. And then when it's time to push up and recovery is good, then you just pull that rest day off and frequency increases. Or is that like, Hey man, that's like too complicated programming it's it's actually something that i've done with quite a few people but okay. myself one-on-one off you know I, I always say this you know peak of off season and even coming out of the is you know i think it's definitely a great option but for me i need to train you know for me like even this split ideally i, I would i would prefer to train two days on one day off but i know for a fact it, it would completely bury me another point that i forget i forgot to actually mention is my priority was my back training this year so it made sense for me to actually, you know, have my exercise selection that's not going to drive my strength up so high with my leg training because all it would do is it would only take away from my back training and my hip hinging. So I know for a fact that if my leg training started, you know, blasting, my back training would probably just stand still. So that's another reason as to why I took that approach with my leg training as well because my focus has been my back you know, predominantly, and my volume was always allocated around my back training as well. 
So volume was even higher when we back training, believe it or not. Yeah, because you said your legs was like, what, 20 sets or something? Yeah, so like, my back training was like 22. It's, it's, down okay. to like, yeah, it's down to like 12 sets now, but, you know. And, it's, and legs is at eight now, right? Yeah, eight. Okay. Eight. Okay. Eight, eight with a set of rear delt as well. So, so now, so bringing, bringing that leg volume down, you could still have back volume. It, it's, yeah. it's now like partition more to back still, right? Yeah. Yeah. How'd you, how, how would you, because the prior prioritization was back training. So what, what has been, what has changed in that setup to cater towards that more so? Or, or, or what, what other variables was it? Just the execution. I mean, because you you've probably been around that. I mean, I imagine you've trained this split, but you've also had probably around the same volume at some point. Um, but what has changed, though? You know, what's changed? So, biggest thing that's changed is I've actually rested more this off season. So, like, like we spoke about earlier before, I kind of got back onto the the other topic. <laughs> I actually rested more. I actually rested a lot more this off season. So, making sure that I'm actually recovered to go into these sessions. The biggest game changer for me when back training has been the execution side of things and actually learning how to train my lats and my upper back. Like even some of the movements I spoke with Luke about, um, you know, with, with the single arm row on the uh, on the extreme row and the upper back row on the extreme row. You know, I, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that that you know would ever dismiss advice from anyone that I know has the knowledge. And Luke, you know, is one of the best in the game. So when Luke speaks, you know, I'm going to listen. But the biggest game changer for me has been actually learning how to train my back properly. And I've managed to still prioritize my back without giving it an extra day or giving it, you know, an awful lot more volume than needed and still progress, you know, the most simply because I've learned how to train it properly. So I think the biggest thing that's undervalued when people talk about volume, you know, addition of this, addition of that, if your execution isn't there, but you know, you're pissing in the wind. I, for years, I wasn't able to train my back properly. And I'll hold my hand up and say, you know, this is probably the first year that I've actually been able to train my back properly, like truly train my back, you know, and, and be able to differentiate the difference between training my lats and my upper back, you know. This has been the first year where I've been able to truly, like, get locked in and, and, and truly, truly be able to, you know, know that I'm training my back now. I'm not just doing my biceps for two hours. You know, so I think like, that's, been the, that's been the biggest game changer, man. How do you like uh, like connect with that as far as in the session? Because I know for me, like, and it sounds real super bro, but basically, like, I, areas that I struggle with, I don't get a pump in. You know, it's like I know that's like pumps are really they come and go, right? But like, like for back for a long time, like I couldn't get a pump for shit. Like I would just be like, I don't know. I guess I trained something back there, um, but now I can like engage like I, for one I feel I feel a sense of tension in the muscle when I'm moving through the movement but then when I'm done I have a sense of like there's a pump or some type of tightness that now develops when I didn't have that before like did you notice that from past sessions now like what are you actually like cueing throughout the session to know it's an efficient stimulus in a set so obviously the pump you know we could, we could go on about we could talk about it for days but the connection that I could develop with my back, I've never, ever felt that before. So my back training, all of a sudden, I started to enjoy my back training because, you know, I was in the gym, I was training, I'm like, you know what it's like when you've got a huge back pump and you're like, your whole back, you know, you, yeah. you feel twice as big. So I was like, this is good. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was getting excited for every session, but, you know, 
in past, the way I rode, the way I did pull downs, the way I did most of the movements, you know, it just wasn't right. So I felt a lot of forearm, a lot of bicep, and a lot of cues that I actually used with yourself. Uh, one of your videos you did when you was actually doing a, a DY row, when you was talking about the rowing and you was thinking about driving your arm down. So almost like trying to engage your tricep while you do it. Yeah. You know, there is, before like people start commenting with, you know, some of the educators saying that it's not right, but you know, okay. it's definitely, it's definitely worked well for me. We're big, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it rules it's, out it's science. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely allowed me to, you know, actually start training my back without, without my bicep gain in the way. And now, especially in the last six, seven months, I'm able to train my back without my bicep getting a pump. And for me, that is golden because I was never able to do that before. So not only I'm getting a great connection with my back, but my bicep's staying fresh and I'm not actually training my bicep. You know, as beforehand, a couple of years ago, you'd see me training back and my arms would literally be bursting full, you know? So you know something's wrong there when you've not really got a great connection with your back. And, you know, people can't interpret that the wrong way. You should never train just for sensation. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But what we are talking about is if you're moving a certain load and you're not developing a connection, you're not getting a pump, something's wrong, especially the peak of off season when your food's high, you know, if you're not getting a pump, there's something drastically wrong. And with myself this year, you know, the pumps were crazy. Like I was getting like purple spots across my back. I've never had that before ever in my life, you know? So I think that's definitely been uh, been a good thing and you know what it, it's actually made me really really like my back training it's it's one of my favorite sessions now so one of the biggest things i saw too just like not only the videos you sent me that we discussed but some of your training videos throughout is your positioning a lot better too to challenge that in a, a less mechanically advantaged position right like the classic one that i see you doing is like the nautilus pull down that's like the high row into the lat like that rib cage position for lat tension is so ideal. Like it's just absolutely like, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of this can come down to like lack of capacity for bodybuilders to be able to use like breast cycle and things like that in order to create position. But that's one of the biggest things I've seen change. So I'm not surprised that the back training has taken a large jump because you're creating pressure in a better way that allows you to drive tension through what actually needs to drive more force now that it's mechanically disadvantaged. So um, something to kind of pull out is like when you're using that video, use it to not only post on the Instagram, but use it to fix positioning as well. And it's probably one of the best tools that we have um, as far as that goes. I did want to not to shift the topic too much, ask you about that, that rate of weight gain in that first phase because you alluded to it about people ruining their off season in that eight, 10 week mark post show about what that looked like for you. So that some of the, the listeners have like some data on that rate of weight gain that led into the reintroduction of PEDs after the eight, 10 weeks that you took. I can actually uh, get that up. If you, if you give me a second. I can actually, sure. I can get, we have can, picks and uh, weights for days. I don't want to give you the wrong answer. I want to give you the right answer. I just think that this oh. is like one of those things that gets, gets ruined for people's off seasons is they take what could be a productive eight, nine, 10, 11 months and turn it into productive four to five because yeah. they're so eager to drive progress and it's like look man like tissue accumulation only happens at a certain rate like 
food goes way up, cardiovascular activity goes way down, and they ruin all. I think, I think you have to manage, to the psychological component of the athlete as well. Because I agree, there, there's optimal, and I've, I've programmed in, like, optimal for people, and they just can't even stick to it. Maybe they're a newer competitor. Maybe they just don't. Or, or, or they're coming out of a prep that was, like, such fatigue-driven and food-focused they weren't able to back off at the end to like let some of that go before post-show. They just don't have the ability to stick to a plan that we would think would be optimal. And you kind of need to push body weight up faster than what you ideally want to get, get rid of that and then get them back into a productive spot. Um, so, so yeah, go ahead. Over the 10 week period, I was 25 pounds up, which isn't, isn't, you know, it's not a small amount really. So I was two to five when I actually stepped off stage and when we actually started 10 weeks after I was in the range of two, 248, 248. But at 248, I was still in quite good condition to be honest. So it wasn't really a sloppy 248. Um, and that was 10 weeks on. It was like the, there's probably a big jump like the first week though, right? Oh yeah, the first week I was like two thirty-five, and then it was literally like a pound here and there. So you know, it wasn't as if I just went twenty pounds up. You know, the first week I think I was two. So the first week two two five, and then I was two thirty, two thirty-three okay. when we initially put the calories up. So from two thirty-three, then it went upwards and upwards and upwards. But the condition I was in when I was able to start is, you know it was sensible. And the reason why I know my condition is still good, I'm not holding much body fat is, you know, I started with just tested MPP to begin with. And I still didn't need an AI because I know for a fact when I'm leaner, you know, I don't really, I don't really aromatize much at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that was definitely a good indicator for me to be, you know, in still good shape. So for me, we didn't really slow my rate of gain down much was kind of going out of the gate, but I wasn't eating. I wasn't eating off plan. The times we were out of plan was when body weight dipped and it was never really garbage. Like majority of the year, it's, it's just been sushi all year. You know, I think we had a pizza once because Meg wanted a pizza. But in terms of like, the, you know, what people normally say, cheat, cheat meal, you know, it, it's been very, very sensible. I didn't overeat. You know, I was always hungry. The only time really my appetite died and got to a point where, you know, I was like, I'm not really bothered was pretty much the last month of the off season. And up until then, you know, I was still in a good place. I was still able to enjoy my food and not really suffer. So, you know, out of the gate, we pushed hard, but it wasn't anything that, you know, would jeopardize the digestion. Digestion was kept perfect. I wasn't bloated. Like I said, I wasn't eating off plan. I was only eating off plan really when Stefan said, right, go and have sushi, go and, go and eat an extra meal here and there. And that would only be down to my body weight dipping, you know, after, you know, a, a leg day or whatever, a pull day. Was that still kind of a challenge somewhat? Like, did you still have like higher hunger signaling post-show with, with that diet plan? I mean, obviously yeah. like for, uh, for like us, our discipline willpower is high and we can just do it, but did, I, I'm, that signaling kind of fades, but like, hey, two weeks, three weeks post-show, I mean, was it still a challenge to like, hey, hunger gets really high, I eat this meal and it doesn't even stick with me? So what you do to manage it? It was a challenge for about 10 weeks. Okay. Simply because 
I wasn't overeating. So I never got to a point where I was that full that I was like, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. You know, in past, I would literally, I would go in, you know, I can eat. <laughs> so I would, I would literally have a fucking buffet to myself. And I mean, by a buffet, I'm, I literally mean I would have a full table to myself. But this time around, because I was so reserved and I never really got to a point where I allowed myself to, you know, even, you know, pig out on food. It was definitely challenging because even when I was eating, when I was eating off plan, when I'd finished that meal, I was still quite hungry. Yeah. So I, I knew that I could have kept going and going. And I think that in itself has kind of protected my appetite and kept it up for longer. So being transparent, I don't think that's realistic for most people. Yeah, I don't I really think, think so. it is. But for me, I think that's been a game changer because for me, it extended that period as to what I can do and how much I can eat with no digestive issues and without getting bloated. It, it's truly been a game changer. You know, it's been hard, but it's been worth it just down to the progression that I've made. And, you know, taking care of my digestion, it's not something that I've paid that much attention to in past, even down to supplementation. You know, I've been so meticulous with every single aspect this year to make sure that nothing gets missed. You know, even like my morning supplementation, my morning drinks, my water intake, my meal timings, everything was done to the hour, on the hour. My walking, my steps, everything was been regimented and everything's been pre-planned throughout my day so that, you know, everything's got as much efficiency as possible. So, you know, I felt good. I felt really good. It was hard, yes, but in same breath, when I was seeing the results that I was seeing, yeah. you know, taking the lowest dose of PEDs I ever have, you know, it, it, it was definitely rewarding in that sense. So, you know, all those, yes, I was hungry, but in same breath, you know, I know what I need to do to, 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 to make that step forward again and again. And for me, it's worth it because the way I look at this game now, I'm in this game for a limited amount of time. I'm, I'm probably not going to be competing like past my 40s. So realistically, you know, I'm not going to be competing for that much longer when I'm being realistic. So for me right now, you know, it's about making the most out of it. And, you know, if some things have to suffer around me, like, you know, social occasions, everything else, so be it. Unfortunately, you know, it's the same issue you guys probably have with your clients. It's not something that you can do with many people. It's only something that you can do with a very select few individuals. And even people that say they want to do that, that are prepared to do that, Believe me now, when you're four weeks after your show and you're still sitting there, still hungry, still food focused, and you're getting told to eat sushi, but you know that you can't go in on that sushi too much. So, you know, you've ate your sushi, you're still sat there, you're hungry, you're like, shit, what's in the cupboard, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's, that's when it starts to, you know, take the pinch, you know? Well, I think it's important for people to hear that because, hey, I want to be pro level. Well, you need to do the things that are pros are willing to do because there's someone out there like Akuba who don't give a fuck. He's going to follow the plan and he'll outwork you through whether it's routine or eating. And so if that's the optimal way to do it and you want to be a top level pro or um, you have to make those sacrifices because someone else is willing to do it. But that's also what's going to drive up progress. Uh, I mean, I mean, for other clients, you know, I try to find ways to manage that phase, like whether it's keeping protein higher or bringing in more like fibrous foods to, to where like, hey, we can maybe still have the optimal plan for you, <laughs> right? Um, and, and have it adherable because my number thing, like programming, it's sustainability and adherence. Like if you can't stick in a plan, what's a shit plan, right? 
So how can I find a way for them to, to stay on that, which post-show, maybe, maybe that is, you know, like I love rice and stuff, but man, it just goes right through you, right? So I'll do a lot of oats or um, add in more fibrous veggies, stuff that can help with the fullness till you get to that spot where body fat's high enough and some of that hunger signaling fades a little bit. But um, on, on, this, on that point, when you're like t- you 10 weeks, you're uh, 243, and you have, you have, at some point, you and Stefan, you realize like, okay, now it's time to increase PEDs. What, what is that decision look like? And what, what, what was the cueing in that, that like promoted that change? So the main thing I did all year as well is I've had blood work done, blood work done every six to eight weeks year round now. And that's full, full, you know. Yeah. Full job, full job as well. And that's, that's something I think people overlook because, you know, one, it's, you know, we better, it's always better to check. And two, it's not just the health data that we're looking at. It's, you know, it's other variables that we can actually look at that will be quite helpful and productive throughout your off season. So for me, my blood work was probably one of the best spots it's been in, in quite some time as well. And at that point, at that 10th week mark, I felt superhuman. I felt great, you know everything was literally perfect. So, you know, when you think about it, it's like, you know, people say that stars align and whatever, that's literally how it felt. So, you know, the introduction of anabolics really brought another rebound. You know, I was able to, because by that, by, that, by that actual week, I got to a point where it was like, I, I almost started hitting like a sticky point where, you okay. know, things okay. start to get, you know, a little bit harder. Fit, like the progress really started to, you know, I was grinding everything out. Gym performance-wise was starting to, like, taper, okay. Yeah, it was like, I was walking in the gym, and it's just like, right, this is going to be a battle. But, you know, I was still taking little small wins. But at that point, you know, when it got reintroduced, the main thing that obviously led to it was definitely the blood work and just the way I felt in general as well. If I still felt that I wasn't quite ready and I had any, any doubts in mind that I wasn't, going to be the most productive that I can, I probably wouldn't have gone back on because for me, another way of looking at things is if you're going back on cycle, like there's no chance that you can waste a single day. Like you can't waste a single day anyway, but it's even more important during that time because in essence, you kind of, your health will decline whilst you're on simple as that. So if you're taking that risk, you better be sure that you are making most out of that time. So that kind of all coincide together. Um, I, I'm sure like, and like I do it too, like I kind of have a, an idea like eight to 12 weeks post-show is probably when I'm going to be pushing back up gear somewhere in there. Um, and then probably somewhere in there is when I'm going to have labs done. And so was it like, Hey, I pulled labs and then performance had been stagnant or were you getting stagnant? And you're like, let me pull some labs, see if health markers are good. And then you check off all the blocks and then you can push up or what was kind of like the, the order of operation there? Yeah. So first definitely start seeing performance, you know, okay. start getting a bit of a sticky point. That was the first real sign. Then, you know, the look was still great. So that was, you know, that was still a, a good thing. Um, but definitely, you know, when, when we got the blood work back, I was like, right, it's definitely go time now. So is there something, you, do you monitor anything daily? Like, do you monitor blood glucose daily or? Anything else that coordinates with your lab work? Pretty much do five times a week. On a weekend, I generally don't do it on a weekend. But Monday to Friday, I always do it. 
I've got a little book that I put my kind of numbers in daily. Okay. Um, blood pressure, I do at least once a week, blood pressure. Um, and the blood work every six to eight weeks. Gotcha. So what, because I think this is interesting too, because Luke and I were talking about this, because I, I used to just blast and cruise, like, and, and jump right in, right? So I'm, whatever, arbitrary number, you're on 200 milligrams of test, you jump up to a gram of test, you know, and then you ride that out for 12, 14 weeks, then you're back down to like 200 tests. And it's like, you get this quick, like wham and progress jumps and it gets stagnant. And then you're like, have to drop down and the look changes. But I, I've changed my view on this to like, just slowly titrate it up as needed on a need basis. But what does that rate look like? And what are, what are we looking for signal wise to when to add in or when not to? So when you came to the spot, like, hey, we're going to start up this cycle. I've been on test MPP. How much do you know to add in? This is all previous history, of, sure. Um, but you titrated up from there. Or was that your only move up and you kind of held there for the rest of off season? So I, I kind of let Stefan, I kind of let Stefan call the shots with that one. Okay. And it, was, it was literally, as we went up, it was an extra 350 milligrams of Primo as we went up. Okay. So initial start. So initial start was uh, tested MPP. Won't go into details of as people will probably start taking it. But in terms of dosage, it, it wasn't a lot at all. It was you know it was the the, the lower end of just over you know a full uh, a full gram. Okay. Then when we actually went up again, it was an extra three three fifty here and there. Okay. So at the point that we went up again, I think it was seven weeks into the cycle where we actually titrated up by 350. Gotcha. So it was around that point. So the totals were still kept quite low and we kind of pushed forward and forward from there. But it was definitely based off one, the performance and the stagnation maybe in the progression with the weight as well. So when we start to see kind of performance take a lot of bit of a pause and the look just wasn't getting that significantly better, you know, it went on. Yeah, just so initial push up, whatever that may be. Maybe it's like 30, 40% dosage. So Seven, it, initial, initial start was 250 tests. Yeah, whatever. We tell it. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah just yeah. so it's easy I'll, to talk I'll about. Say, I'll say it. It'll make it easier. So yeah. A bit of disclaimer, don't try doing it. Don't, you know, don't try it. This, this is built for Cuba. You yeah. have to do at your own, you know, rate of yeah. progress and where you're at. So anyway. <laughs> it'll, it'll put things in context for people. Yeah. In context for people a bit more. But, so 250 tests, 100 MPP to start with every other day for seven weeks. After seven weeks, it was 350 Primo. Gotcha. So, and then I think I've got the notes somewhere there, but after seven weeks from that, we went up with Primo by, I think, another 300 again. Okay. And that was pretty much peak of what we did. Yes. At the, like, at the highest, highest level. So moving from, like, maybe just under a gram up to one and a half, 1.75 gram-ish. Yeah. Something, yeah. Like, something like that. So, we're, yeah, you're looking at, like, like 30% increases, which it, it, you can't just go off a percentage because it's, like, what are you adding in, you know? Is it? Is it primo or is it test? Like, that's a big difference, right? Um, yeah. it, it, if, if we added primo, it would have, it would have definitely, well, if we had a, sorry, if we had a test, yeah. Yeah. Extra, extra few tests on top of that, it would have been a, a different story, you know? So, 
Yeah, but but so yeah, so you're you're implementing as as needed. So you had seven weeks, you add in, then you said there was another seven weeks. Yeah, so seven weeks we added in, and then we pushed Primo up again. Yeah. So the peak, I think the peak where we landed at was around two point one total. Okay. Which I where I we mean, actually landed. At. At the very top, because I think the MPP went up to what one fifty, I think. Yeah. So, the very top was two point one, which, in comparison to previous cycles, it's you know it's definitely a lot smaller in terms of duration and the dosage that you know I was on as well. Because in past, it would be literally right week one. This is what I'm going to take. I'm going to take for twelve to sixteen weeks. So, when I'm looking back at this cycle. I pretty much spent 14 weeks, you know, on a low dose, relatively low dose. And then, you know, it's only been a quite a peak level of, you know, use for the kind of reminder of the off season. So you hit that peak and you held that for how many weeks until, because we, then you get to that, that look, right? You were at 267. Yeah. And you, you kept going for another five weeks or so. So, yeah, so roughly, what was that duration then at, at like peak? Seven weeks, I think. So I think it was seven, seven, seven. Okay. So like 21 weeks or so. And yeah. that pretty much concluded, concluded the off season. So then, and then there was a transition to prep from there. Yeah. And then I guess, so gear comes back down then. So we pretty much did like a, a freshen up period just before prep, which wasn't very long to be honest, but it is what it is. We do what we do. Yeah, um, no, no. There, think, there's clear yeah. risks that we take here to move yeah, up. Yeah, so it's just the honest. I'm being, yeah, look, I'm being fully transparent here. You know, the, the, the kind of break period that we had was just under four weeks where we kind of brought the anabolics back down. And that was in the period where I kind of held as well. Yeah. So for me, you know, it wasn't wasn't the best. But off the back of that, as soon as we kind of reintroduced the anabolics back in, you know, it was definitely, definitely, you know, a much better place. Then you taper back up into prep as it goes on, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, and that, well, I, I think we've that kind of got with more of a, a a kind of advanced approach straight back into prep. Yeah. Right, new tissue. Want to make sure it holds. It makes sense to run it higher than what you started your initial off season at. So it definitely, yeah. definitely makes sense. In comparison to previous off season, those like the difference is dramatic. Though it, it's, you know, when I compare that now to what we did before. It's it's still a million miles away of of what we actually did in past compared to what we do now. So you know, it's still definitely. For me, it's definitely a much better approach, and it's approach that I definitely feel like works better. Well, people ask, like, can you go back in dosage? Like, once you touch a certain gram amount, like, can you go lower? I think people are scared to, and I think what we do, and, and even Kuba, like you said, like, no one's going to believe what John runs, and it's not because, like, this. I've run it hard. I've run grams, you know, um, but I get so much more out of what I use now because I've managed all my other variables so much better. And it, it was probably like, I was probably at a point of diminishing returns, like s stress was so high inflammation from using all that gear. 
on top of just like trying to work two jobs and sleep all over the place. And um, you're like trying to bandaid progress with just more gear. And now you can get more out of less because everything else is that much more dialed in, which the important parts, right? You know, the important parts are dialed in and gear just, just aids and facilitates the, that too. Um, I think when looking back at previous off seasons, you know, my routine was all over the place. My sleep wasn't that great. I remember when I first got my ordering a couple of years ago, I put it on, like, sleep easily. I put it on and I was getting like four and a half, five hours sleep just to put things into context as to how diabolical, you know, things were back then. So my routine was like, wake up at 9am, 10am, sometimes, sometimes 11am. And then I would literally be in bed like one day, 1am, one day, 2pm, 3pm, you know, whenever I wanted really. So I kind of lived a life that was a full-time bodybuilder, but a lazy bodybuilder. And, and for me, you know, it was like, I was using all this gear. I was eating all this food. I was training hard, you know, I was strong, but not much was happening. So I think that should definitely open people's eyes up to the way you can commit yourself, what you do in and out of the gym truly matters. So, you know, a lot of the old school guys say, you know, why, why are you overcomplicating things? Like we're not really overcomplicating things. We're trying to get the most out of what we do. And, you know, imagine taking someone that in essence would have genes like, for example, like one of the top guys that we see in Olympia and imagine taking them and actually sorting their routine out, sorting their training out, yeah, shit. sorting the strategy when it comes to PEDs, sorting the strategy when it comes to diets and, and nutrition. Just imagine the response that you would, we would see because even myself, like, you know, I don't have the greatest genetics in the world, but I've seen a huge response from myself being able to pull back from anabolics and being able to truly, you know, push forward with everything else that we do. And I've seen a huge response and, and, you know, I've made the most progress I ever have the past year. And I think that that speaks volumes in itself as to, you know, what you can do, what you're capable of doing as well. You know, it really does. Cause I, I never saw myself as like the genetic elite. Like, yes, I have good genetics. I'm a pro. Um, but I'm not, this phenom where, I, where anything works, you know? So I was like, I can't leave anything on the table and find ways. That's why I've like had to like, I try to educate myself as much as I can to learn. Um, and I don't leave anything on the table, you know, why, why leave that to chance? Um, a, a question for you guys. I know we hit PDs and how they graduate up and how food would graduate up too along that process. Was there any point in this off season where you felt like you were having to kind of like force food down or would y'all ever pull back on food or, or what did that kind of, anything that stands out to you nutrition wise that was done? I think never, ever at a single point, a single day where I felt like food was getting forced ever. And I think that's been the biggest game changer as well. To me, I feel like, if you get to a point where you're having to force your food down and the appetite is completely dead, that is the point where you are just unproductive. For me, whenever in past I've had to get to a point where I'm force feeding, you know, all I'd have to do is check my blood sugar and I guarantee you now it'd be like sitting in high fives, yeah. fasted. So for me, your body will speak to you every single time whenever it doesn't want to do something. If your appetite is so short, 
and there is no other reason that might be contributing towards that, you know, it's clear as day that your body doesn't want to go there. So why are you trying to force your body to go where it doesn't want to? It's just unproductive in my opinion. I've done it before, you know, ended up just, you know, lack of pump, walk in the gym, like, why am I not getting a pump? I'm eating 900 grams of carbs a day, starting, you know, eating muffins on top, trying to get a pump before. <laughs> more but, you more know, insulin, and then you look like a fucking marshmallow man, but all of a sudden. <laughs> that's another thing as well with this year. Um, definitely know it. Well, insulin use has been minimal, minimal. So I think that definitely speaks volume. But in terms of force feeding food, I think that's definitely, you know, old man's game. It's not something that I'd ever do now or ever have anyone do for that matter. Was there anything that you stood out? So, I mean, obviously the routine, um, food choices, like these are like big things that play into like great digestion. Was there anything else that really stood out as far as keeping that optimal digestion wise, supplement wise, or just, just, just anything? That... Staying active and making Staying sure okay. I'm actually getting some steps in, in past. And even, you know what, even this year, I think another big thing that let me down in peak of my off season is my fitness levels. I think if I stayed fitter, I would have been able to probably push past that little boundary that I had. I think that's the only thing that let me down is definitely my fitness levels. So I think next year, but I think the biggest thing for me is staying active, especially after meals. You know, I've got two big dogs that are, they need walking. So that's been a blessing, you know. It actually forces me to get up, get up off my ass after a big meal and actually take a little walk. So for me, keeping a degree of steps in and staying active has definitely been a game changer. Whereas in past, I kid you not, I would literally be doing like 2,000 steps per day. I'm the same way, man. I work on, you know, I coach online. If I just train and sit on my ass all day and work, it's like two, 3,000 steps. Like that's nothing. So what do you hit now? Like what, or an off season? I know you're in prep now, so. Off season, a minimum of 6,000, a minimum. Okay. And no direct cardio, right? Or it's just purely walking step count? So actually in off-season, I, I do it backwards. When I start prep, I remove cardio. In off-season, I keep 20 minutes of stairs every single day. Okay. Every single day apart from the day I have physio. So every five days, I have a therapist come to my house at half six and he, he does my physio session. So on them days, I, I'd never do my cardio. And, you know, I, I'd keep activities somewhat lower on them days. But throughout all my off-season this year, I actually kept 20 minutes of stairs in every single day okay and that that's what's going to keep the heart heart rate up and keep the yeah. fitness there and i think just in, uh, same way with like on prep just walking after a meal like man you feel bloated like that that can help like move everything through and like help with digestion drastically which uh, i've you know i've made the same mistake in off season i just want to off season so i actually implement this shit it's been so long but yeah. um proper off season <laughs> yeah yeah all right so um, no, no, those, those are, those are great tips and takeaways. And I think it's, it's really easy and especially like when food's going up and activity goes down at the same time and you feel just get fucking lazy. And then all of a sudden that same like little surplus you're in becomes a big ass surplus. You're like, you have a client that checks in like, how'd you get so fat this week, man? It's like, oh yeah, I just laid around now because I'm, my food's high and I'm, I'm just not, not staying in the routine off season. Right. And I so think Year round, I think keeping a routine and keeping a, a step count goal, I think that that's definitely a key point to, to actually make. Like year round, I actually do keep a step count goal year round. I never have days where I'm like, right, today I'm just going to do nothing. I feel like them days, like 
even when, you, when you're ill, for example, and you sit about and do nothing, that actually makes me feel worse. So for me, if I had a day where I didn't get my daily activity done, for me, my recovery actually gets worse. So being less active for me is counterproductive. And I think the biggest thing that I'll actually do and implement once, twice a week, probably once a week, is definitely some HIIT training in peak of my off-season next year. Okay. Just so I'm able to... One thing I realized looking back now, like the high rep sets, like, you know, even a hack squat, high rep set, eight to 10. Like I would literally gas the f- out completely <laughs> before I was able to, you know, reach true failure. And, you know, looking back, I'd write that set and I'd think about it. I'm like, I could have done at least one or two more there. So I think that's going to be a game changer. I think that'll allow me to train harder whilst I'm at my heaviest as well. I think that's something that, you know, even the 20 minutes of cardio that I did every morning, it was just low impact. You know, it was like keeping my heart rate at 120 beats per minute. It's not enough to keep you truly fit to be able to stay in these sets and attack them sets the way we need to. Yeah, I agree, man. Even like when you get into that first part of prep, we have like, I mean, it's different for how you prep now. But before, like, you implement cardio, you get some of that adaptations happening, you drop a little bit of body fat, and then I feel like I'm super productive. Like, all of a sudden, like, my training's sped up, like, I'm recovering better. It's like, why have I been doing this in the off-season? And you, you just don't realize it. It kind of slowly creeps in, like, the lack of fitness. But it's like that piece of prep is like, man, I'm like – and I think Jordan's had this happen too, right? Like, he's getting more fit and his training's taking off. So I think keeping in a, a piece of fitness there – and it's, a, it's definitely like a newer bodybuilder thought process because old school, it wasn't like this at all, right? It was just like just slam food, push up body weight, you know, get strong, sit around. Do, do as little as possible. Little that as possible. Like the way, you know. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's very, very insightful. Um, uh, we've kept you on here for a bit, Kuba. I, I don't want to take your time any longer. I, I, I could talk about this all day because I think the – the productive off seasons are lack thereof for many people. And it's good to have some like good insight from a guy that's made progress. And that's always who I want to talk to. Uh, you know, I, there's the genetic elite out there and uh, they can do whatever they want to make progress. But for us, like I want to see guys that have like jumped up big and what'd you do during that time period. Um, so you came straight to mind when I've, when, when I've seen you've been posting and, uh, and I'm super excited for you to be prepping for the UK Arnold so now being being 15 weeks out you should be just an all-time best which is going to be awesome to see yeah hopefully I'll uh, I'll, look less, I'll, I'll look less like a swimmer this year so we'll be all right oh, shut up yeah. dude you were... <laughs> <We'll be all laughs> no uh, thanks for coming on we'll close out there man Luke you have anything else to close up with no uh, super productive as, as always thanks for coming on Kuba thanks for having me on thank you yeah Kuba um uh, please uh, plug where, where you want people to follow you at to get more information about your coaching or your YouTube videos or anything. So Instagram or YouTube, type in Kuba, K-U-B-A, without a C, you know, not like the country. And um, yeah, follow me on there. I'm not going to say my surname because people will struggle. But <laughs> if you type in Kuba, generally, you know, there's not that many people with the same name. So if you type in Kuba, you'll be all right. You'll not have trouble finding it. So yeah, just mainly Instagram and YouTube, really. Um, I don't use Twitter, so... What's your YouTube? Yeah, no. Just just Kuba with the C? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, same as I'll, I'll put it in the show notes below too so they can check it out. Thanks again, man. Awesome. Thank you, gents.